uh, good evening once again to my um, class and um, today we're going to look at um, chapter 4 um, yesterday we had um, you know uh, looked at um, uh, the trial in chapter 3 uh, how uh, you know Mersault was getting um, sort of uh, uh, you know familiar with procedures and then he also sees the different witnesses we came across Murray, Celeste uh, everything uh, happening very, very quickly, and uh, you know, Mersault sort of feeling that he was always out of uh, the entire scheme. And uh, we do understand that he's been made out to be uh, quite a villainous fellow, not so much because he murders an Arab, but because he doesn't cry at his mother's funeral. Okay, so we're going to um, see chapter four. Um, chapter four is, um, you know, uh, going to. Uh, look at uh, how uh, Mir Sword becomes even more uh, and more an outsider to the entire case. Okay, and we're going to see how things uh, proceed and um, uh, you know what happens as a result of uh, uh, you know all the examinations that go on and things become quite hectic. Uh, you know, in chapter four, and you know we we very clearly understand that we are on the second last chapter. And uh, after that, you know, we just have um, chapter five, which is going to be the closing of the novel. So we do understand that, uh, you know, loose ends are going to be, um, you know, sort of tied up, and uh, things are, you know, going to come to a, a kind of a close. Okay. So I'm uh, beginning by um, reading, as I always do, uh, from the opening lines of the chapter. <coughs> Um, examine the opening lines. They 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 just so much um, a reflection of uh, uh, you know his being an outsider. Even when you're in the dock, it's always interesting to hear people talking about you. I must say, during the prosecutor's and my lawyer's speeches, a great deal was said about me, possibly even more about me than about my crime. Uh, so I think uh, this is a very important takeaway. Um, about uh, the world which Mesolt uh, lives and about Mesolt himself. So he says it's very interesting to have people talk about you, you know, and he's actually the one at the center of the crime. And he says both the prosecutor and his lawyer's speeches just reflected that a great deal was said about him and it was not more about the crime that he committed, it was about him. So it's almost becoming like a you know, a kind of a personal uh, indictment, you know, uh, ab about him, about his personality, about his character, about his relationships, you know, about his nature, rather than really talking about um, his crime. Um, I, I think you could hear the birds. Um, I think I think they're going home now. It's 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 going to sort of turn late evening, and I'm sitting again, uh, you know, in my. Uh, balcony in my garden and I think you'd be able to hear many birds uh, chirping okay um, okay that, that was just besides um, now you know Mayor Salt uh, you know he was very um, confused about uh, the proceedings of the court and how everything was going on and he says that there was one thing though that vaguely bothered him you know in spite of all my worries I'd occasionally feel tempted to intervene you know, because he's, he thinks that they're all wrong things being said about him. He wants to sort of clear them out. And he felt tempted to intervene. And my lawyer would always tell me, keep quiet, it's better for you. Right? 
so the person who is central to the entire affair is an outsider. In a way, they seem to be conducting the case independently of me. So remember, I referred to the naive hero, you know, the hero who's trying to describe things he doesn't understand and how he's, you know, gradually being eliminated from things that are so very important to his own life. My fate was being decided without anyone asking my opinion. You know, from time to time, I'd feel like interrupting everyone and saying, but all the same, who's the accused? You know, it's important being the accused, right? And I have something to say. But then you said, you know, when I thought about it, I really didn't have anything to say. You know, so this is so much like mere salt, you know. At one moment, he just feels that that particular spontaneous moment when his emotions are raw, he has a certain kind of feeling of wanting to express. But then he knows that, you know, he's going to be judged, he's going to be evaluated. And he says, no, I have really nothing to say, you know. And... Um, and he also says, you know, I must admit that the pleasure you get from having people listening to you doesn't last very long, right? So he says this, you know, even if I speak, it's of going to be of no use. Even if I speak, uh, people are not going to really uh, pay much attention. They're really not going to listen to me, right? So um, uh, this is how the whole thing uh, keeps moving on, you know. It was, uh, you know, in only in isolated fragments, occasional gestures, uh, which caught my attention or aroused my interest. Just remember, Mersolt is a man who can lose his interest very, very quickly, okay? Now, um, the basis of, uh, you know, uh, the prosecutor's argument, you know, was that, uh, if he understood correctly, his crime was premeditated. Now, uh, this is, um, you know, essentially uh, the area around which the prosecutor tries to uh, you know, sort of base argument, although his argument is based very much on the fact that Mersault is a cold, hard-hearted man who didn't cry at his mother's funeral. But yes, this question of premeditation uh, and uh, this kind of an act where you plan beforehand is very important, you know. And that is what he tried to demonstrate, all right? Now, uh, Mersault says, you know, we were reminded of my insensitivity, of my ignorance when asked how old mother was, of my swim the next day with a girl, of the cinema, of Fernando, and finally of my return home with Marie. Right? So everything seems to be coming uh, to a head where, uh, you know, Mersault's crime is related to his mother's funeral and, uh, you know, going for a Fernando film with Marie and having sex with her after coming back. All right? So uh, Mersault feels that they're all very unconnected things, but, you know, that's what the court and the lawyers are saying, that you don't know anything about the law. Right? So... Um, and, you know, he, then there was this, you know, talk about his business with Raymond. And he says, I think whatever the prosecutor says was, was quite plausible. It was quite believable. I'd written the letter in collusion with Raymond as a bait for his mistress in order to subject her to ill treatment by a man of doubtful morality. But, you know, Mersault, when he wrote that letter, he never thought so much. I remember I told you that he just believed that Raymond was a good man because he says, I have no other reason uh, to believe that he was was not, uh, you know, a bad man. So he says, I, I just believe that he was good. And then he says, now I'm always being made to believe that I really did something wrong, you know. And then he says, the you know, the prosecutor said that I provoked Raymond's adversaries on the beach, you know. And then Raymond was wounded. I asked him for the gun. 
I'd got back with the intention of using it. I'd shot the Arab as I'd planned. I'd waited. And to make sure, you know, that the job was done properly, I'd fired four more shots deliberately and at point-blank range and with some kind of forethought. So this is the entire story of the prosecutor. And Mirsot now hears the story over and over again. And he says, yeah, probably his story is quite plausible. Uh, even though Mirsot knows it's really far from the truth. But then the way that things are repeated, you know, they almost um, uh, become, you know, hammered, uh, you know, um, truths, right? So, uh, you know, then uh, the, the prosecutor also says, you know, that I've retraced the entire uh, series and this man, you know, he had full consciousness and actions. He really wanted to kill. And he says, you know, for this is no ordinary murder, a thoughtless act which you might consider extenuated by circumstances. So he says, this is not an ordinary thing that you just think is the result of some kind of circumstance you know this man gentlemen this man is intelligent yes look at the declaration about Mirsold. you have heard him have you not he knows how to answer he knows the value of words and no one can say that he acted without realizing what he was doing okay so he's been branded as um, a criminal premeditated murder uh, you know, firing four shots more into a dead body because he wanted to make sure that the Arab was dead, okay? Although he says that, uh, I really don't know why I fo fired four plus one, or, you know, the four shots that um, I, you know, pumped into a dead body, right? So, um, now, you know, the most important thing is about whether Mayor Salt expressed any regrets, okay? And then obviously they say, never, gentlemen, he never uh, expressed any regrets, okay? Now, um, we do understand that Amir Salt is a man who never expresses any regrets, you know? He, he, he's not regretful about anything. He is very, very, um, you know, frank and open in his feels, but he never expresses regret, right? And he says, Amir Salt says, I didn't much regret what I'd done, but I was surprised that he was so furious about it. He says, why is he so upset that I wasn't regretful? Yes. Uh, he says, see, I, 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 did, I committed a, mis a murder. I made a mistake. He says, I was irritated and angry. He says, you just punish me for it. Yes. I, but I don't want to say that I regret and I want to be, you know, uh, uh, you know forgiven by God, etc. He says, I'd, like, uh, I'd have liked to have explained to him in a friendly way, almost affectionately, that I never really been able to regret anything. Yes. Remember I told you that uh, you know Mersault is never able to regret anything and he's never able to have any hope and regret is represented by the past hope is represented by the future so uh, both the past and the future are sort of meaningless for him okay so he says I've never been able to regret but he says it's very difficult for me to be able to explain this to anybody you know and um he says, you know, I had no right to be affectionate or to show any goodwill. And he says, I tried to listen again because the prosecutor started talking about my soul. Yes. Now, remember uh, how uh, the magistrate, uh, you know, uh, took out the crucifix and tried to sort of, uh, you know, uh, convert him. And then he was surprised that how in a law, of, uh, how in a court of law is the soul being discussed, you know? soul which uh, you know somebody uh, which nobody can see and nobody can touch it's not tangible and we do understand that law is about very tangible things you know evidence hard evidence you know or, or even if it's circumstantial evidence things have to be very very clearly laid out and here he says look at the courts talking about my soul right and uh, you know the prosecutor says that he had looked into his soul and he found nothing yes i'm, I'm sorry i think there's a 
police patrol on the road but i don't think it's going to last long uh, in times of covid i think these are the only sounds we really are able to hear um sorry about that yeah okay okay oh there's some more i think there's some more uh all right um sorry about that <coughs> but that's just a part of uh, i think their duty and that entourage which they're, they're going around in okay so um you know the prosecutor now talks about a soul he said you know the truth was that he didn't have a soul and that i had no access to any humanity nor to any of the moral principle which protect the human heart so he's declared that mirsolt is a man uh, who far from having a hard soul didn't have any and he doesn't have any humanity doesn't have any morality so it's like um, you know a, a open declaration that he's an immoral being okay um you know he says we can't even complain because he lacks something he was never able to acquire so he says he's never had a soul you know it's not that he lost a soul he never had one so you know we really can't complain much about that okay uh so he says his heart is empty it forms a chasm uh, which threatens to engulf society you know now how is mirsolt uh you know a threat to society he's now being made out to be not just a threat to society but a threat to uh the french people as a whole you know and mirsolt finds it so difficult to digest uh, that you know he is being made out to be as somebody who's very evil and somebody who can really affect the well-being of society okay so then um this is how the whole speech goes and uh, you know mirsolt is so confused he's only conscious about the heat of the morning and then uh, then the suddenly there's a voice which says tomorrow gentlemen the same court will judge the most abominable of all crimes the murder of a father right and now you'd see that probably almost um uh, you know mirsolt's crime and the parricide are being almost put into the same category you know of a heinous kind of thing in which one is a son uh, killing his father and here uh, you know and see how interesting it is here mirsolt has killed his mother as if you know so these two crimes are sort of being brought, brought together you know when actually mirsolt has killed an arab but he's actually being prosecuted and he's uh, sorry he's actually being persecuted for uh, killing his mother okay so uh, you know he's a threat uh, from society he should you know cut himself off etc and uh, you know there there's all kinds of uh, you know moral kind of attack on him and he finds it all very very strange right um the prosecutor also says you know that mirsolt had no place in a society whose most fundamental rules i ignored nor could i make an appeal to the heart when i knew nothing of the most basic human reactions and we do understand that mirsolt has been a friendly a person uh, you know pretty social very fun loving uh, kind to salamano nice to celesti good to raymond good to marie and now he's been made out to be this kind of a monster you know um, and then you know he goes on to say for uh, this is what the prosecutor says for though in the course of my long career i have often had occasion to demand capital punishment never before have i felt this onerous task so fully compensated and counterbalanced not to say enlightened by a sense of urgent and sacred duty so he says i find now in my many many years of my career uh, this kind of a chance that i've got uh, you know of uh, of um, 
you know demanding a certain punishment is very balanced by uh, you know a sense of duty and what kind of duty sacred duty you know as well as the horror by which i feel at the sight of a man in whom i see nothing but a monster now we do understand that uh, uh, you know the courts are not supposed to pass value judgments just supposed to say whether something is within the law or outside it but here you know we have moral judgments being passed and uh, you know I- you know even the legal apparatus in all its absurdity in all its strangeness being you know represented in front of uh, mersault okay so uh, he has also been called a monster okay uh, you know then there was a long silence after the prosecutor uh, sat okay, ba- down and then the judge replied you know um, you know the, the kind of statements he was you know trying to analyze everything up okay and then he says uh, you know they also said that which were the, what, what were the motives that actually inspired this crime and uh, mayor salt became quite nervous he said i'm mixing up my words a bit and realizing that i sounded ridiculous you know so i mean the the judge is asking you know why did you commit this crime what was the uh, provocation and he said it was because of the sun you know and then some people laughed okay and i'll see um, this might appear to be very silly strange and absurd but this is what my thought is you know i remember the role that the sun played you know he was like a naked man uh, you know um, under that blistering sun and remember the knife uh, you know sort of changed into a sword it changed into a spear and uh, he was almost you know sort of hallucinating and probably that was the you know highest point of his loneliness and the uh, the whole universe and all his strength you know uh, attacking a lone man so he says it was because of the sun you know and people laughed you know they they found that very silly my lawyer shrugged his shoulders and immediately he was afterwards asked uh, to speak you know um, and then um, you know he also said that it was late it would need several hours and he asked for an adjournment until the afternoon the judge was agreed okay so uh, there is an adjournment okay uh, the you know the afternoon was very very uh, you know dull and stuffy and hot okay and uh, it went on like that okay and the lawyer keeps telling him you know to be quiet and a moment later he you know said uh, you know lawyers will always uh, you know uh, you know behave in this manner make such speeches etc okay and uh, again see very significant it seemed to me that it was just another way of excluding me from the proceedings reducing me to insignificance and in a sense substituting himself for me you know these beautiful lines how well they mirror his uh, sense of alienation his sense of being out an outsider a complete stranger to things that are otherwise so central to him so he says even the lawyers were conspiring to actually put me out of everything and he says he was substituting uh himself for me and he says you know i think this is also a part of the meaninglessness of existence you know that you are so important there but then there is no importance that's actually been given to you right so uh then this is how it um, all went okay and then we had um, you know there's some kind of a report he read that i was an honest chap uh, a regular and a tireless worker okay now this is the, his lawyer uh, making all the right noises for him but it's too little too late okay uh, he was very faithful to the company that employed him 
popular with everyone and sympathetic to the misfortunes of others. Yes, this is exactly how we've seen Mersault. To him, I was a model son who had supported his mother for as long as he could. In the end, I hoped that an old people's home would give the old lady the comforts which my limited means prevented me from providing her. Yeah? So, uh, I am amazed, gentlemen, he added, that such a fuss has been made of this home. For after all, if proof were needed of the importance and usefulness of these institutions, one need only say that it is the state itself which subsidizes them. Okay, So, he gets a very clever argument, but as I said, it's too little, too late. He says, why are we making so many noises about old age homes? He says, if you know, old age homes were uh, evil institutions. Why would the state subsidize them, you know? So the lawyer trying uh, to do, uh, you know, everything that he could, okay? And the only thing, of course, that the lawyer didn't talk about was the funeral, you know? And Mersault felt it was a very important omission. But then even probably the lawyer felt that this was something that, uh, you know, was very controversial, right? So... Um, and you know there's a there's a the, the, this beautiful line here he says you know but uh, what with all these long sentences and the endless days and hours that people had been talking about my soul i had just i just had the impression that i was drowning in some sort of colorless liquid okay so he says now it was sort of he'd reached the end of it and he'd reached the you know the bottom of it it was just like too much for him to take and then uh, in the end, you know, all that he could remember was, <coughs> you know, echoing sounds, the lawyer talking, the sound of an ice seller's trumpet, you know, what uh, in Punjab we would call the golewala, you know, and that little trumpet that the ice cream seller, uh, you know, keeps um, pressing, you know. I, I think it reminds us of hot uh, summer evenings of our childhood. And he, you know, he hears the ice seller's trumpet. Uh, and then he becomes very nostalgic. You know, uh, that's what I keep saying that, you know, in part two, Mersault looks inward. He is able to analyze his feelings. And, you know, he says, um, I was assailed by memories of a life which was no longer mine, but in which I'd found my simplest and most lasting pleasures. You know, the second part, he says, you know, I was happy. I had pleasures. He talks of love. Right. But in the first part, you don't see all that. You know, and the second part, he knows that, you know, even those things that probably he felt were so absolutely meaningless, he'd probably got used to them. And there is a certain sense of attachment um, as well, you know, even though Mersault is a highly detached individual. Yeah? Then, uh, you know, uh, the smells of summer, the part of town that I loved, the sky on certain evenings, Marie's dresses and the way she laughed. So he remembers all these things very, very fondly. And the utter pointlessness of what I was doing here took me by the throat. And all I wanted was to get it over with and to go back to my cell and sleep. See, pointlessness of what I was doing. You know, absolute meaninglessness of everything. You know, rites, rituals, funerals, uh, trials, courts, judgments. Uh, media, you know, everything just seems to be one heap of pointlessness. Okay, and he just wants to go back to his cell. He's exhausted, right? So, uh, and then uh, he, you know, this notices that the sun was getting low outside and it wasn't so hot anymore. And from the few street street noises, he could sense the calm of evening. Yes, remember, Mir Salt is a man who's very close uh, and very observant of nature. 
he looks at um, nature outside the changing color of the skies and the, the you know the, uh, he thinks of the sea and the little waves uh, you know on his feet and the different types of flowers so uh, you know uh, they you know we are all and he sends a certain calm of evening and he says there we all were with you know and what we were we uh, what uh, you know and what we were all waiting for concerned uh, you know no one but me you know and uh, i looked the room around again again there was waiting remember i told you waiting is very much a part of the uh, you know philosophy of the absurd if uh, i mean i've uh, referred to uh, you know in my class to you know that the, the famous work waiting for godo uh, in which you know there is a wait and a wait for somebody and that somebody just doesn't come so you know and essentially um, i mean all of us essentially i think re we really waiting for something to happen you know you as students are waiting that after 5 years you know you'd be a magistrate somewhere or you'd be a lawyer somewhere or you do something after that you you know wait for uh, or you know probably some of you would wait to get married after getting married you wait for something else so we're essentially always waiting for something to happen and when we are waiting for something to happen it really means that there is certain kind of um, uh, there is a certain kind of a vacuum in you know in our uh, in what uh, you know in the way in which we existing that we wait, want something to change okay so um then you know everything was just like it was on the first day in the court and uh, you know he did hadn't looked for mari once during the whole trial you know the significant he didn't look for her i hadn't forgotten her only i'd been too busy you know i saw her sitting between celesty and raymond she gave me a little wave as if to say at last and i saw a rather anxious smile on her face but my heart felt locked and i couldn't even smile back so he sort of uh you know closing up his um, relations with people as though you know because probably there's something that's uh, uh, you know these are all the things that are going to happen after his um, after the you know his judgment is pronounced okay uh, the judges returned the jury was uh, you know very rapidly uh, the you know read uh, a series of questions i heard guilty of murder premeditation extenuating uh, circumstances okay the jury went out and i was taken into the little room where i waited once already and uh, you know he he's he's wondering what's what's happening you know and then uh, you know my uh, and then the and the lawyer says anyway you know you can always appeal but i'm convinced the outcome will be favorable but you know when he says you can appeal uh, we do understand that the lawyer feels that probably uh, you know the, the the judgment is not going to go in his favor uh, so we waited for a very long time almost 3 quarters of an hour i think yeah so that's um, you know 45 minutes and uh, that's a long time to wait at the end of that time uh, you know a bell rang my lawyer left me saying uh, you know that uh, the foreman of the jury is going to read out the verdict okay and you'll only be brought in for the passing of the sentence okay some doors banged people were running up and down stairs but i couldn't tell how far uh, away they were and uh, you know you were students of uh, law yourself you know you'd you always notice how courts are uh, you know such hectic places you know they, they they are not places that anybody would like to go but they're hectic this frenzied activity uh, there's a certain kind of uh, uh, you know sorrow when you go to the courts but it's always so very busy 
you know uh, whenever i go for a court uh, duty I, i'm just amazed at the kind of activity that goes on you know there are people who are chained there are people sitting in the buses there are court rooms there are policemen you know there are relatives there are lawyers there are it's all it's it's there's just so much of hustle yeah so he's also caught up mesot is also caught up in that kind of hustle you know then i heard a muffled voice reading something out in the courtroom when the bell rang again and the door opened what greeted me was the silence that filled the room the silence and that strange sensation i had when i discovered that the young journalist had looked away i didn't look over at marie i didn't have time to because the judge told me in a peculiar way uh you know that i would be decapitated in a public square in the name of the french people so mere uh, sort just can't believe it it's so absurd you know what's the uh, you know what's the verdict the verdict is uh, or the sentence rather is that he would be decapitated his head would be chopped off in a public square in the name of the french people you know so it's almost uh, i mean it's like a medieval a uh, kind of a punishment he's going to be decapitated his head is going to be chopped off in a public square um you know for the french people and we do understand that the purpose of uh, public um, executions was uh, you know to teach um morality to the public that you know come and have a look at this if you do such kind of thing you'll be here tomorrow and mirsault is i mean amazed is a small word he he he's like a bastard you know he just can't believe this is the kind of punishment he's getting so he's actually being decapitated for not crying at his mother's funeral for being a monster for having sex one day after the mother's uh, funeral and uh, he he just can't believe it yeah so uh, then he says and i think i recognized the expression that i could see on every face i'm quite sure it was one of respect you know and why respect because he's you know uh, going to be you know sort of um, made an example in front of the french people you know remember he's a man without a soul and he has to be really made an example of in front of all the french people uh the policemen were very gentle with me the lawyer placed his hand on my wrist i stopped thinking all together but the judge asked me if i had anything to add i thought it over i said no that was when they took me away uh now you see this is always very ironical and this is always very um you know even paradoxical that you know mersol keeps saying that you know nobody asks me anything nobody involves me in anything and when he's asked he he just point blank says nothing or he says no because remember earlier i had already said that mershal says that you know uh, it doesn't make any sense for you to say anything but after a point people don't even listen to you and mershal knows that everybody has decided you know that he uh, is not a person who uh, you know has any value uh, because he is a man who never cried at his mother's funeral okay so uh, we see this chapter uh, uh, significant in the sense that uh, we are just now left you know with the last chapter and we do understand that um it's going to end in a particular manner and of course we're going to the, the next the last chapter is even you know very very um, it, it's sort of bringing the philosophy of the absurd to a certain kind of a finality you know uh, in which we see the manner in which he's going to be punished and uh, you know how he's going to imagine very absurd things you know about 
how the execu uh, the execution you know could be stopped because of you know the um, the apparatus of the exec uh, you know of the um, execution not working etc and he also starts thinking very very weirdly right so um uh, do listen to the podcast and um, i mean i hope you um enjoyed the lecture uh, and um, understood it in, in you know all its um, sort of layered uh, you know ways in which it really has to be understood thank you and uh, after this we just left with one more chapter thank you <laughs>